You're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's blue lights in your mirror. Uh, uh. What do you do? We're going to talk about interacting with law enforcement when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Practical Prepping Podcast. We thought this would be a good time to pause from some of our prepping, storage, and water purification topics to talk about something completely different. And it's definitely a prepping topic. It is, because you need to learn how to prepare to interact with law enforcement. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, we're having spring weather, although I will say, still some very hefty tornado action across the entire United States, it seems like. And sadly, there have been some more deadly tornadoes. Now, the second week, the second Friday in a row... Deadly tornadoes have torn through a very similar Midwestern and Southern area. Arkansas was heavily hit, but we had one death in our county last Yes, we, in North Alabama, there was an EF3 and a fatality, sad to say. And so we are, we're ever mindful of how that affects us and affects the families that are impacted by that. It is a very stressful and horrifying sight to see your house just a pile of splinters. But I will say that we are a community that cares for one another. And from mayors to governors to law enforcement, emergency, pastors, churches, schools, organizations, groups of people have banded together to come alongside their neighbors and to offer them support a roof over their head or doing what they can do it the chainsaws were running the pickup trucks were running so the owner of one of the convenience stores up there and it was in the northern portion of our county he loaded up pizzas from his store and cases of water and cases of water and soft drinks and he went around and he just began to hand them out to people because his business is in that community. Exactly. He knows these customers. Those folks trade with him, and he said he has a good relationship, so he just wanted to go and do what he could to do that. Now, when we're talking about tornadoes, let's talk for just a moment. I know that Friday night, our weather radio went off four times after we went to bed. Yes, it did. Thank goodness. And we'd stayed up kind of late. Mm-hmm. And I got up and I got onto the computer, which I had left the radar program up, and I used GR Level 3. And so I was able to walk in here, and I didn't have to wait to hear. I didn't have to turn the TV on. I was able to look and actually see that we were safe from the particular tornado that they were warning. One was north of us, one was south of us, and so thankfully nothing came right across here. But it does bring up the opportunity to say that we each need to have a NOAA weather radio that will set off an alert tone. And also more than one way to get information. Mm -hmm. You know, you realized that your phone had cut off before you charged it. And so your phone was not on to give you a weather alert. Right. But that weather radio 
woke us up. Exactly. And so, that's what it's for. And our backups need backups. Our backups need backups. So, and, and I do have a backup app on my phone, but when your battery goes dead and you don't turn it back on after you charge it, that's not good. And that backup didn't work. So, so we're so grateful to have our weather radio. It does the job. It will alert you audibly, and then when you go to see what's coming across the LED screen, it will indicate in language what the National Weather Service has issued a warning for. Yes, and the voice will come on. Once you punch that button, the voice will come on, and you will hear the recording from them. You also need a safe place to shelter. And you need to get prepared for that safe place during the tornado watch. I learned this very clearly in weather school. Once a watch is called, go ahead and get your preparedness enacted. Activate that preparedness to that safe space. Your last steps. Yes, because if you wait until a tornado warning to begin to get ready to go to your safe space, you don't have nearly enough time as you think. Yeah, because sometimes, especially in EF0s and EF1s, they spin up very quickly, and there's a very short length of time if they actually have time to get a warning out before it gets to you. You know, giving the meteorologists a lot of credit here, they're not Houdini, they're not genies, they can't tell, you know, just from radar exactly what's happening on your street in your community. They're watching the weather just as best they possibly can, but they cannot be very pinpoint when the tornado activity is a little bit lighter, but that doesn't mean that it's not a serious tornado. Right, but you can, I mean, a EF0 can kill you. It's got to form a tornado before they can see a tornado. Exactly. And exactly. so what I'm saying here is there may actually, you know, if the tornado forms and 20 seconds later hits you, there's no opportunity in between to warn. That's why we need to stay very, very weather aware. And where that watch comes in, like you were talking about, that tells us to perk up. It tells us to do the last preparations that we need to do and get ready. It's, it's A good example is putting the cats in a carrier. We don't do that very early. They would not be happy. No. They're not that happy about being in it anyway. No. But we're, we have that carrier out and we're ready to put them in if we get a warning. So... We need that safe place to shelter, and that could be a basement. Basement is a great place to shelter. Get as far away from any glass windows you can and get into the corner that is the most underground if you have a basement. Yes, and if you do not have a basement, a ground-level interior room or an interior closet, a space without windows, is also good. And if you lack that then drag a twin bed mattress over your head and get into the bathtub and, you know, hunker down under there. Try to find some kind of a way to shield you from any type of debris or shards of glass, splinters of wood. Tell you a quick story. It's been about 50 years ago, but I was actually living in this area of Alabama. I was just a teenager at that time and there had been a very very dangerous tornado that had passed over this was in the 1970s early 1970s and the following day of course in the 1970s there was no 
internet or cell phone, you had to just rely on the news and your word of mouth from your neighbors to find out what had happened. And so several days later, maybe three or four days later, we were sitting in our Sunday school class and sharing some stories. And one of the fellows in our Sunday school class said, let me tell you what happened at our house. We lost our roof and we were hunkering down in the basement. The roof came off and we felt, we even felt the pressure of it. And he said, my cousin's were living with us at the time, and they ran downstairs while this roof was coming off. Because remember, this was 50 years ago. They didn't even have as much of the preparedness warnings as we do now. And they all hunkered down in the basement. And then when it was all over and they emerged from the basement, they realized that these cousins used to put rollers in their hair. And so they had rollers in their hair that they were going to sleep under hair nets for the night. And the following day, they pulled the hairnets off of their head and little splinters of wood from the collapsing roof had pushed up into the rollers of their hair. And they pulled splinters of wood out of their rollers. I mean, is that crazy? That is, tornadoes are crazy. I have seen wood sticking into a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have seen pine straw sticking into a tree. That's no you know, we saw a picture last night of how some of the weather service surveyors determine the strength of a tornado by the look of the bark of the tree. We noticed that toward the ground the bark appeared to be untouched. Middle of the tree there was kind of a fifty fifty skint look on the bark and then on the upper third of the tree there was no bark at all and that tree was down to the white inner core and it looked like it had been bleached and that was just from the wind and the debris and the leaves were not fully on the tree it did not have its full canopy to begin with yes it should have had it had none when it was over. Well, uh, yeah just I mean it should have should have had some leaves on it but it didn't and I know we have strayed from our original topic but we just this is timely and this is spring in the south and this is going to be just par for the course for the type of weather you know we've talked many many years now really about what are the threats we're most likely to face and tornado weather is a huge risk that we are likely to face this is our worst one Mm -hmm. this is our most likely to face and if you don't know what to do on tornadoes We've got a couple of episodes on prepping for tornadoes. So just scroll back through there, find that, listen to that. And if you have anything you'd like to add to it, uh, we would welcome your input. There's also some good chapters. Practical Prepping for Everyday People. A Common Sense Guide to Being Prepared for Life's Emergencies. And there's a lot about tornadoes and how to receive tornado information and Mm -hmm. weather information about All right, we said we're going to talk about interacting with law enforcement, and we'll do that. But first, let's mention our sponsors. For Patriot, our go-to source for emergency long-term survival food and great gear. Use the discount code PREPPER linked on our website. Pro One Gravity Water Filters for crystal clear, clean water every day, and especially if the stuff hits the fan. Aura, digital safety on the internet for the whole family. Aura provides a VPN so you aren't tracked, as well as providing protection from identity theft, and they'll notify you immediately if someone tries. ProLine Digital Group, your custom, reliable, innovative solution for apps, websites, hosting, and digital leads. Clean Start, 
our favorite non-alcohol antiseptic and hand sanitizer. And you too can support the podcast by buying us a cup of coffee. We would greatly appreciate it. And just remember, 10% of all revenues coming into the podcast are donated to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital to help eradicate childhood cancer. We appreciate all of our sponsors, and all of them are linked from our website, www.practicalprepping.info. Now, we're mindful that we're in the United States, and interacting with law enforcement can be different in various countries. So this may or may not apply in your particular country. I know, I think it's Germany that when they have a traffic stoppage, they pull to the outer areas of the road so that emergency vehicles can go through the middle. And some places, if you're pulled over, you stop this way or you stop this way or you stop immediately or you drive on to a safe spot. So be guided by what is customary in your country. And we're going to use the word officer to mean police officer, deputy sheriff, highway patrol, state trooper, whatever. We're just going to use the word officer to designate all of those. Okay. Now, what's the most likely way that most of us will deal with law enforcement? I'm going to say that's probably a traffic stop. For most of us, it is. And there's some things that we need to do. Now, what to do if you're getting pulled over by the police? You know, and a lot of times people begin to run the scenario of what they've seen on TV or the movies. And they sometimes have a very different process because of the entertainment value or the storyline that has absolutely nothing to do with how it really goes. For one thing, you know, you're in the driver's seat and you're driving and you see those blue lights and you know you need to acknowledge and at least let them know that you're slowing and you're going to find a safe place and you have the legal right to find a safe area within reason. You can't drive for an hour. To find don't, a, don't drive no. three miles down the but road. I have understood that sometimes it's good to turn on your flashers to allow the officer to know I see you and, and the officer will understand, particularly at night or in very in unpopulated yeah. areas. Try to find a gasoline station. Or, turn on your right you know, turn grocery signal. Grocery store. Someplace where you find can. Find a you know, wide spot. Yeah, yeah. Find a driveway. But find a safe place. Get us both out of the roadway. Mm-hmm. Don't make me get out and be halfway out in the traffic. Yeah. Get off the road. Don't stop on the lane. If you possibly can. Now, don't run off in the ditch to do it. No, no. But don't do what one guy did with me one day, just stopped in the middle of the road. Oh, dear I mean, that's literally what he did. That's terrible. And I had to step out and say, (laughs) pull up to that parking lot. (laughs) Come on now, be sensible. Maybe Maybe that's why you stopped him. Maybe he was... No. Impaired. No, he, he, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. But, All right. He was just mentally Well, impaired. he was impaired, but not too impaired to drive. <laughs> I gotcha. That's a okay. whole different story. He was not on something or intoxicated. And if possible, turn off your motor. Now, if you turn off your motor, that tells me you're not planning to run. Exactly. But definitely put it in park. See, when I'm approaching that vehicle, I'm looking for those reverse lights to come on as it goes into park. So then I know you're in park. Yeah, so if, so you're saying that you would prefer that the motorist 
put it in park and turn the motor off. If you possibly can. Okay. Now, I did stop a guy one day, and after the traffic stop, I had to turn my car around and jump him off. So if you know your car won't restart, then just... Just you know, put it in park. Yeah. Put it in park. Okay. And if it's at night, turn on your interior lights. Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. Let me be able to see into that vehicle. There you go. There you go. And understand, too, that from the motorist position, realize that many times, in fact, if not every time, once you have actually stopped and you're awaiting the officer to approach the car, it may be three or four or five minutes before they actually do that because they've stopped you, but they're immediately running your license plate, putting in a description of the vehicle. They're calling in to their dispatch to let them know they're on a traffic stop. I'll tell you something, dispatch kind of, you know, they'll check on these law enforcement officers about every three minutes. Sometimes they'll call in. We get two minutes on the initial check. And then we, at eight minutes, we get checked on again. And then, you know, we can advise from there. And get this, that officer may approach from either side of your vehicle. We might, but when you see us approaching, lower your windows. Yeah, you don't. And don't step out of the car. No, do do not not get out of the vehicle unless you are instructed. Correct. And, and also don't start doing a lot of movement in the car because you are being observed. You're being observed from behind through your back windshield by a law enforcement officer who has some reason for pulling you over. And it may not be that you've broken any laws. I've been pulled over because I had a taillight out. I didn't know about. I got blue lighted. I stopped. The law enforcement officer came to the window and just was very cool and very calm and said, listen, uh, I've got I've got no issues with your driving. You were not speeding. You were. I just wanted to let you know that your left tail light is out and it's dark and you just need to know that. And I was very appreciative. All right. Now, here's something that you're not required to do in every state, but I will tell you it is appreciated. And that is to advise the officer if you are armed. Now, Tom Gresham says on a traffic stop, you say, officer, I will comply with everything but I want to make you aware that I am armed. I'm legally armed. How would you like to proceed? And then just follow his guidelines. Mm -hmm. Some people, uh, it it goes any number of ways. Yeah. The the officer can kind of let you know how they want it to go. Exactly. And legally the officer can take possession of the weapon during the stop for his safety. Mm -hmm. That is legal. Yes. I've never done it but not on just a standard traffic stop, but comply with the officer's instructions, period. Yes, if they tell you to put both of your hands on the steering wheel, they're not accusing you of anything. They're just wanting to keep their eyes on both your hands. And this is very important to do. And just, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whatever you've got officer-wise, just be compliant and obedient and for the best that you can possibly be, don't you start rattling off a bunch of questions just yet. You know, perhaps you can say something, you know, is there some sort of an issue? Is there a problem? What can I do to help you, sir, ma'am? He he or she will introduce themselves and tell you why they stopped you. Exactly. So you will know in just a moment. Keep your cool. Keep your cool. That's very important. 
Don't argue with the officer. You can argue things later in court. Exactly. You're not trying your case out there on the no, street. No, because you're not going to win it on the street. Okay? <laughs> let, let me tell you a little story. You may make the situation worse. You know, that's true, because little did you know, you were probably going to be able to drive off without a ticket, but you talked yourself into one. That can <laughs> Was happen. Was that the story? That What's can What's your happen. story? Well... I had stopped a a man. I was coming home from work, and it was late in my shift. Alabama has a law, and you can't drive more than a mile and a half in the left lane unless you are actively passing. This guy was poking along, and this was about three miles. Weather was pretty, and I said, hmm, I'm just going to make him aware of this law. So I pulled him over. I got out knowing that all I'm going to do is a verbal warning. I'm not even going to do a written warning. I'm just going to tell you I stopped you for driving, you know, in the left lane for this distance, et cetera, Uh contrary to the Alabama state law. And he began to say, I didn't do that. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. Contradicting you. Exactly. Exactly. And I had made up my mind that I'm just going to do a verbal warning. And I said, look. I could write you a ticket for this, but my intent was just to pull you over and say that is a violation. Don't do it. Just Quite simple. Be aware. Have some awareness. And yeah. when he realized he was not getting a ticket, his whole demeanor changed. It was, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh. Okay. Well, don't argue with me on the side of the road. And and I've told Krista and, and most officers, and if you know one, that's been doing this for any length of time, just ask them, say, have you let more people go to jail than you have put in jail? Exactly. And the answer is yes, yes, and more yes. Yes. Because so. they, you, it didn't have to go that way. And it, it just doesn't have to go mm-hmm. that way. A food shortage could be coming. Even in the United States, economic experts wrote at the end of the summer crop season. Farmers sense it, too. John Boyd, Jr., a fourth-generation farmer, told Fox News that, quote, we're going to see empty food shelves in the coming months, end of quote. That's why survival food is more important than ever. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriots survival food kits. It's not ordinary food. We're talking good-for-25-years super survival food, hand-packed right in a family-owned facility in the USA and giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, and they stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. You can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. Just add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now, you can go to fourpatriots.com and use code PREPPER to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called For Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support veterans and their families. Just go to fourpatriots.com and use code PREPPER to get 10% off. That's fourpatriots.com. Use the discount code PREPPER and start building your own food stockpile today. Preppers are always concerned about having clean water available. 
A Pro One Gravity water filter solved that issue for us once and for all. We can store only so much clean water for us and our cats. For the two of us and the cats, that would be around 65 gallons just for drinking for one month. What about washing dishes and cooking foods that require water for preparation? If we find ourselves in an SHTF situation without clean water, we can use creek water or river water, which is plentiful within a short distance of our house. Just pour it in the top, then crystal clear clean water comes out the bottom. Problem solved. If you're concerned about water, check out Pro One Gravity Water Filters. There's a link on our website, practicalprepping.info. Now here's a prepper item for you that serves two purposes. It's a 40X concentrate, so it stores easily and takes up little space. It's Clean Start non-alcohol based hand sanitizer and antiseptic. That's right, a hand sanitizer and antiseptic. It doesn't dry out your skin like alcohol-based hand sanitizer. In fact, it has moisturizers which leave your skin feeling great, and it smells good too. Being non-alcohol-based, it doesn't burn when you put it on cuts and scrapes. The grandsons think that's the best part, but the best part is that it kills germs and keeps killing for up to three hours. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers stop killing germs as soon as it dries. Clean Start is patent pending as being the only hand sanitizer in the world that can stop an accidental overdose from illicit drugs like fentanyl for first responders like police officers, firefighters, EMS workers, and emergency room staff. Non-alcohol formula that acts like soap to wash away chemicals while leaving pores of the skin closed so that chemicals don't have a chance to enter the bloodstream. And here's a prepper bonus. Not on the FDA registration, I found this one on my own, and that is that I can clean my glasses. Put a touch on each side of the lens, wipe it with a soft cloth, it cleans and doesn't leave streaks. Clean start. There's a 25% discount on our website. Let's continue on. What to expect? Now to start with... Be aware that you can be approached from either side of the vehicle, and there are times to do one versus the other. One is if there's a big ditch, and I try to go up the right-hand side of the vehicle, or the left-hand side for you folks that drive on the wrong side of the road in your country. <laughs> it's not the wrong side for them. Well, <laughs> it's called a passenger side approach, gotcha. and it, it's very okay. safe. But it is problematic if there's a ditch right there and you've only given me six or eight inches to walk on. True, so true. You, you have to be careful with that. But just be aware they can come up on either side. And if you see in the mirror which side they're coming up on, just let that window down and they'll instruct you from there. Here's some things not to do. Okay. You have stopped. The officer is behind you. They haven't come to the window yet, but they're watching you and they're running your plate. But don't reach under the seat to get your wallet without telling us, my wallet is under the seat. Can I reach for it? Or it's in the console. Can I reach for it? It's in the glove box. Uh, in my case, in the pants I was wearing yesterday, if I got stopped, you know, this fat boy going to have to get out of the car to get this leg straight because of the pants I was wearing. And I carry a wallet <laughs> in my front pocket and there's no way I could have gotten it out. But I would have said, look. My wallet is in my front pocket. There's no way I can get it out 
sitting down like this, I need to at least turn and stretch this leg out to where I can reach into that pocket. And then it's up to him. He can decide or her what to do at that point. But don't reach over into the back seat. Don't reach under your clothing, anything like that. Don't make sudden movement. Yes, because you've got to understand, this officer doesn't know you. And they're already heightened on an alert status to be looking for any kind of dangerous looking movement. And if you're acting that way. We're trained for that. And they call it furtive movements. Furtive. Yeah. Furtive movements. Don't make those sudden movements without telling us. Basically, don't do anything that makes us nervous. Exactly. That's a good rule of thumb. Don't do anything that will make us nervous. And as we said before. Don't argue with the officer. Don't argue that you were going the speed limit. We already know what your speed was when we pulled you over. We've got those things called radar guns, and it tells us. And, yes, we can beat those radar detectors if I want to. When your radar detector goes off, I've already got the speed locked in. So don't argue that. Now, you can state your case But don't argue because it just goes downhill from there. And there are times I have stopped folks and they were over the speed limit and they were going to the hospital. Okay, make your case. Yes, sir. I'm running over the speed limit because I'm, you know, he broke his arm. I can look in there and see that arms broke. There's Mm -hmm. no need for me to take. Or the man that's taking his wife. She's having a heart attack and they were already in the car. There's no time to call an ambulance. They're faster to go this way. You can state your case, but don't argue. Now, here's something to understand. Since most of the time, most of us will interact with law enforcement on a traffic stop, understand it is not required that you be shown the radar. There's no law that says that you have to do that. And here's why. You have to be sitting in the driver's seat to see the display on my radar. There's a patrol rifle right there. There's a gear shift. You can pull it down and drive and drive off with my car. You can also be the victim of a mistaken identity of a vehicle. My first husband, when he was a young teenager, he was stopped because the car he was driving matched the description of a car that was just involved in a robbery and a hit and run. Pretty serious offense. And he got stopped. He was very bewildered because he wasn't breaking any laws. And particularly because the officer stopped his car and they did jump out rather quickly and approach the car with their hands on their duty weapon. And then when they finally explained and he was able to give them identification, it was clearly a case of mistaken identity. Apologies all around. Everything was fine. He understood, but he said there for a little while, you know, it was kind of rough because he's a i can understand their position they're looking actively for a felon right now and i'm driving the car they appear to be looking for so that happened to him that happened to somebody i know why we do some of the things we do you know that you're not a threat but we don't know that exactly we don't know who you are and our plan is to go home at the end of the day We want to go home safe. 
So just be aware that there are reasons that we do some of the things that we do. There's reasons that we run your tag so we don't come immediately up to the car. We run that tag and we might find out it's stolen. And you say, well, I don't have a stolen tag. Well, have you ever heard of the one where somebody takes a tag off of a stolen vehicle and puts it on another vehicle and takes that vehicle and puts it on your on the one they stole? Yeah, they swap. So they, you get yeah switch tag and you out. get pulled over and guns pointed at you and they go on down the road because their car does not show up or that tag that they just stole does not show up as mm-hmm. stolen. It's not matching the car that it's stuck on. Now, there's a number of different calls that we can go on. Now, let me just kind of give you a little bit of what to expect when law enforcement arrives. Some of this really depends on the type of the call for service. Let's talk first about crimes against persons. Now, this is robbery, assault, shootings, cuttings. First thing we're going to do is we're going to see that the scene is safe. So we want to control the people on the scene. If the bad guy's still there, we want him. Mm-hmm. If the good guys are there and they saw it, we don't want them to leave yet. We need some information. We need some information. And then second, we're going to get help for any injured folks. We want to make sure it's safe, get help for the injured. And then we're going to begin to take statements for reports. First thing that we're going to want to do in a robbery is get a description of the persons, the vehicle, and get that broadcast to our buddies so that they can be looking for Did they leave on foot? Did they leave in a vehicle? Did you see what kind of a vehicle? You know, all of that is mm-hmm. good stuff. Physical description. And yeah. then we're going to collect evidence that might be there. And this might be where investigators get called out. The report may be taken and it's forwarded to them for follow-up. We may call a crime scene unit to come and process the scene to take fingerprints, photographs. Some departments, depending on the size of the department, it may be the officer that initially responds that does his own evidence collection. We're fortunate enough that we have five guys that that's their full-time job is collecting evidence. So we call a crime scene unit and they come. Now, let me say this about that. We can't take a half of one fingerprint and solve the crime in 54 minutes like they do on TV. The DNA and the fingerprints don't tell us who did the crime. Right. They're both comparative evidence. We must have a suspect to compare that to. We come up with a suspect and that fingerprint, that single fingerprint matches one of their 10. Then we got you. We can put you there at the scene of the crime, but you must have that suspect to compare that to. Let's talk about what to expect when we show up at a domestic disturbance. Now, this is one of the most dangerous calls that we handle. This is what the two officers last week were responding to when they were shot. Yes. In the Huntsville Police Department, there's been a officer killed in the line of duty and another one in critical in the ICU. Still fighting for his life because they showed up on a domestic. And at the domestic, the alleged suspect had shot a female, and she's in the hospital. And we we covered this, or I covered this, on one of the last episodes when um, I said, Stop the Killing. That's the name of it. And I go into that shooting again. When we show up on a domestic disturbance, we're there to ensure the safety of all. 
that's the first thing we want to do is to secure that scene. And then we want to help any injuries. Then we begin that process of sorting it out. And this is where you're going to be asked all kinds of questions. We're trying to figure out the truth. And we need to get it sorted out. And under Alabama state law, if there is injury, we are required to make an arrest. If there's physical injury and we can determine the primary aggressor. Mm -hmm. So just be aware that we are always on heightened alert on a domestic disturbance. Bear with us because that is one of the most dangerous calls that we can handle. All right, let's talk about suspicious persons and vehicles. We want to identify the person. If you're in a vehicle, if you're walking down the street and for some reason there's suspicion, uh, a lot of times it's not us that has the suspicion to begin with. A citizen called in a suspicious person, and then we have to check that out. Now, in Alabama, the law requires a person to identify themselves and provide a reasonable reason for being there. And that's, that is something that is permitted for officers to ask, and they should expect compliance yes. to that uh, request. And we've got to have some kind of real reason for asking. It may be totally innocent, and they're there waiting for someone to come pick them up. Mm-hmm. But in Alabama, you're required to identify yourself and give that legitimate reason, and we will usually check you for warrants as well. Another thing that we're trying to do is identify if this person is impaired in some way, if they're injured, if they're sick, or if they're broken down. I don't know how many folks I've pulled up behind on the road that their vehicle was broken down. Oh, yes. That's why you carry that jump box a lot of times. I carried the junk box, and I carry a gallon of gas. Now, let's talk about something here that you don't think about very often, and a family rarely deals with this. But it does happen. It happens every day. Yeah. It very rarely happens more than once or twice to the same family. Yeah. And that is an unattended death investigation. Now, what does that mean, unattended death? There was not a doctor there when they died. So you're talking about somebody that might have like died in their sleep and they're in their bed home exactly. alone. They died in their sleep, uh, hospice deaths, things like that. Some departments respond on hospice deaths. Some do not. Is this where I've heard about where often a neighbor or even a Sunday school class member will call and say, I haven't seen Miss... Miss Julie in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, and they do a welfare check. And we find that she's laying in the floor dead. She, and that nobody... But more often, it is they woke up dead. Yeah. You know, they went to bed, and they died in their sleep. And So they had an unattended Unattended death, death okay. or they've been sick for some period of time, and they passed away. That's unattended. Now, one of the things to understand, and I always explain this to the family... We handle this call the exact same way every single time. What do you mean? And there's a reason. We have a step-by-step process that we go through, and we do it that way every single time. And one of the things that we do, I said a while ago that we have a crime scene unit, they will actually come and make an initial investigation. They'll do some photographs. 
And we go through that every single time. And it's not that we suspect that there's some foul play here, but that one time out of a thousand that there was Mm -hmm. foul play. It might not have been immediately obvious. Right. It became obvious later. Uh Uh-huh. And so if you do that and you didn't do it the right way to start with, you can't go back and do it over. Oh, I see what you mean. You've got certain boxes you have to check, and and, it's, and if every unattended death is investigated the exact, identical way. Exactly, and so and That's it, very and smart. it's for that one out of every you know thousand, thousand ten thousand that maybe has some suspicious quality. Exactly, that there was a problem. Now, okay, we walk up and there's a gunshot to the head. Okay. We know how we're going to have to handle that exactly the same Same way. way. Yeah. So I explain that to folks so that don't be thinking something's wrong when the vehicle shows up that says crime scene unit. Right. Because I know people are very upset if their family member is, it it, it came as a shock and a a sadness and that's how it usually Mm -hmm. is. But there's, there's oftentimes when it isn't that way. Yeah, in, in all of this, that that type situation, everybody has a job to do. Well, and the officers, they're not only to give respect, but to also see to justice if justice mm-hmm. needs to be seen to. And that that's why we do it the exact same way every single time, is because we don't want somebody to be murdered and make it look like a natural death. Yeah. So that's yeah, why we do that. Justice must be served. All right, we're running on in time here, but if I could tell you just a couple of things that I wanted listeners to know about law enforcement. One is we're people, too. Yep, sure are. We really are people. We have families. I have grandchildren. So, you know, you're dealing with regular people who have an unusual job. Mm Mm-hmm. And we want to go home at the end of the shift. Now, I don't mind working over as long as I get to come home. Yeah, you told me that's your main daily goal. That's the number one goal. I get to come home. Now, if you get pulled over, understand, and when I've, as a field training officer teaching rookies, you don't know what that person's day has been like. No, you do not. You don't know what they've just gone through. Well, if you're getting pulled over, you may not know, or this guy is coming to take a report for something, taking a report for a burglary or a stolen lawnmower or whatever, or criminal mischief. Somebody did a burnout in your yard, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Realize that this guy may have just come from a really bad call. He may have been walking through things that we would like to forget. Yeah. So and you those, can. Those officers being people too, particularly anything that involves a child. Yes. That's got to be the worst. And so you deal with that, and we can't go home and decompress. We've got to go take the next call. So the guy that pulls you over, he may have come from a really bad call, and that could lead some to some rudeness on our part because we have feelings too. We hurt on some of these calls. Deeply. We, we really do. And, I mean, Krista's 
She's good at reading me. She knows there are times when I come home, just leave me alone for a little while. Yeah. I just need some space. He doesn't just, really want to talk about I it. I just need to decompress. And, you know, I may tell her about it later. I may not. It depends. Yeah. But anyway, second thing I'd tell you is that most are good people doing a hard job. I think that's pretty much true of everybody. 99.99% of the officers do a good job. I think I saw a statistic somewhere that, and it may be true about now, there's a, a, a million or just over a million full-time or part-time, even a reserve, Nine, law enforcement officers. It's 900 and something thousand police officers in, in America. In America. Doing yes. a tremendous job. Okay. Tremendous right. job. And most of them are doing a good job. I think so. And now, I think you can say that about have, anybody. Do we have bad apples? Of course we do. Mm-hmm. But. I don't know that we have any higher percentage of bad apples than any other profession out there. I mean, think about it. Doctors, lawyers, school teachers, uh, engineers, architects, uh, what have you, whatever, even a stay-at-home parent, everybody's got a job to do, and they get to choose how they're going to do that job. And if they don't do a good job, there's no worse in that field than... All the good ones cannot really abide that bad one. We can't stand a crooked cop. It stains cop. the whole industry. We, we really can't. We and really so can't. that's don't don't think that there's this secret brotherhood that's shoving things under the rug because that's not existing. No. That's All right. Not. So anything else we need to address on this? Well, when it comes to interacting with law enforcement officers, understand that they are peacekeepers. They're doing a very hard job. They run toward danger when we're running away from it, don't want anything to do with it. They're going into the home when we want to run out of the home because stuff can happen to us as citizens, and that's why we need law enforcement officers who stay prepared to keep us safe. And when they say the thin blue line, it's a very thin line between peace and anarchy. And that's why we need them. We appreciate you being here today. And as Krista always says, stuff happens. Stay prepared. And we'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Practical Prepping Podcast. Would you consider supporting this podcast by buying us a cup of coffee? Go to the website, practicalprepping.info, and click on the link to buy me a coffee. You can contact us by email at info at practicalprepping.info. You can also contact us through Facebook and through our website. And until next time, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.